I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. I know from my experience as a financial planner that we humans are often inhibited when it comes to talking about money. Many of us struggle to see that money is really just a means to an end and that the decisions we make around money can change not only our life, but the life of others as well. I'm going to be speaking with guests from a variety of backgrounds and asking them to share their personal story and the influence money has had along the way. I'm also going to be delving into some of those tricky money and life questions that I've seen my clients wrestle with over the years. My hope is that the shared experience of my guests will help you think maybe differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Money Expresso. It's been a couple of busy weeks for me since we last spoke uh, with a wealth of sport going on, beautiful weather and um, the uh, COVID restrictions lifting, so um, onwards and upwards. Um, but in particular, I wanted to just mention a couple of things. Now, the first was a bit of a Twitter spat that I found myself involved in. Um, a well-known journalist posted a tweet basically saying, and I quote, a life insurance policy is like a pact with death. You might as well invest those premiums. That way, you're better off the longer you live, not the other way around. Now, that, that particular tweet, to be fair to the journalist, I think was very out of context. But none the least, I think it is hugely irresponsible to be saying things like that on such a public platform. Um, I think if the journalists had actually ever advised clients or seen friends or family members die or suffer from serious ill health uh, with commitments and young families, then he might have thought twice before wording that uh, quote as he did. My message to you is protection, life insurance and income protection is an incredibly important part of the financial planning armory and it should be the first port of call for the majority of us. Um, in more positive news, I was actually delighted to be asked to take part uh, in a webinar for a new female uh, platform called Fempeak. Now, Fempeak has been uh, established by an incredible woman called Somi Aryan to basically address the lack of women globally in technology and, and engineering. And she's identified a number of areas where women suffer um, and which holds them back from reach, reaching the higher echelons of our global companies. Uh, my webinar uh, was speaking about how to gain financial freedom, and it was a real pleasure to speak with an audience uh, of uh, women from all around the globe uh, who also came on to the webinar and shared their stories about finding their financial purpose and freedom. Now, my guest today is one of my colleagues. Um, that person is Martin Ruskin, and it was a really I don't know, incredibly warming, open and honest and humbling conversation with Martin. He shares some very painful um, experiences of his time managing his family and money when times were actually pretty difficult. And I think it takes a huge amount of courage to be able to share those things publicly. Not least, I'm sure it makes Martin the amazing financial planner he is today. And anybody who has him as their planner should indeed be 
very grateful for his experience. He also shares his experience as a pastor. And I ask him the question about how do you manage the, uh, manage the marriage of money and religion? And he has some incredible insights into uh, a number of areas. So um, I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did. Um, let's crack on. Oh, Martin, I wonder whether we could just kick off with you, maybe giving us a kind of nutshell version of your journey from uh, when you kind of really started your first proper job to becoming a client director at uh, Paradigm Milton. Uh, okay, well, I've um, called the journey lasts for about 30 years on this one. So Never. you can tell by the, by the grey hair that I've been around for a little bit. Um, it kind of started off, I guess, um, I left school when I was 18. Uh, I didn't go to university. Uh, in fact, I went to work for a church in Brighton for a year. Um, so obviously nothing related in any way, shape or form to financial services. After I did that uh, year with the church, um, I did a little bit of temping stuff and then applied for a job as an administrator at what happened to be a financial services um, company. Uh, on my first day, the managing director asked if I would like to um, coordinate the unit trust dealing desk. And being 19, 20 years of age and full of that, um, and probably a little bit of an ego as well, I said, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, the downside is that I didn't know what a dealing desk was. I didn't know what a unit trust was. But um, lo and behold, I kind of got to grips with it. And then over the course of perhaps two or three years, just did quite a lot of self-study. I was really interested in uh, what was going on within the firm. Uh, they had a number of what they called financial planning managers. So these were people that were giving advice, mainly to the kind of post-retirement end, uh, end of the spectrum. And um, Having done a number of exams, I then started to give kind of technical advice to, to the people that were uh, effectively advising uh, these clients. Um, but giving technical advice had a certain salary band, and I got to see what some of the financial planning managers were earning, and I thought, I want a piece of that, please. <laughs> so, so I went back to my MD and just said, look, you know, I kind of know stuff from a technical point of view. I'd really like to have a go at, um, you know, being introduced some, to some clients and, and be in a position to give them advice. And I was 24 at the time. So I started to do that. That seemed to go really well. Um, after a few years, I actually did a family move down to the southwest. So uh, the, the job that I had was based in Brighton and London, moved to the southwest when I was 26, had nothing to do with a career move. Uh, I was very involved in, in a church um, and used to help lead the youth work and basically got an invitation to come down to the Southwest to take on some youth work for, for a church in Honiton of all places. Mm. Moved down, got a job based in Exeter, became a partner of a firm that um, looked after principally those in the medical professions. Moved from Honiton to Torquay about five years after that. Um, and also that was, that was a, a move related to uh, my involvement with, with a local church. So I actually moved to Torquay to help start a new church to form. Um, then moved uh, from the position I had in Exeter to a firm, a small, small financial planning 
practice in Torquay um, and kind of did alongside the work that I was doing at the church, also looked after a number of clients, small number of clients within that practice. Uh, long story short, that firm then was acquired by Paradigm Norton in September 2010. Mm -hmm. So since September 2010, uh, I've, uh, yeah, I've been at Paradigm Norton and um, as you rightly say, now I'm a, a client director. So we look after about 100 uh, family relationships uh, for PN and uh, yeah, absolutely love what I do. That's the, the thing that you mentioned there that, that I hadn't appreciated was your with your is your connection with the the church and the work that that you've done with the church maybe we can come back to that um because I'm sure there's some interesting things to learn around that maybe if I could take you further back Martin to when you were a little boy what's your a long long while ago <laughs> what's your earliest memory of money in your home in your family um, well, there's, 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 there's two distinct uh, memories. One, which was pre the divorce of my parents, and then post divorce. So pre divorce, my memory of money was it certainly wasn't plentiful. But my dad had a, you know, had a good job. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I certainly wasn't aware of any financial concerns or worries. There was always food on the table and we always went on holiday every year. I mean, it was always in the UK, mainly down in Dorset. So, you know, I, I didn't experience uh, international travel when I was, uh, when I was a youngster, but money was okay. As I say, there was no, no big issues around it. Post-divorce, and I was 11, 12 when, mm -hmm. when mum and dad divorced. Post-divorce, I lived with my mum. And the financial situation was was very, very different. So it was pretty hairy, scary. Uh, you know, mum basically didn't have a bean. I started to work when I was 13. I didn't, I didn't get any pocket money. So the only way I could get some money was I, I needed to, you know, own yeah. that, if you like. Yeah. Um, so so I, I certainly wouldn't say that it was plentiful pre-divorce, but it was comfortable. It wasn't an yeah. issue. Post-divorce, I would say money was a, a scarcity um, and, and life was a little bit tough. Mm. Yeah, quite a, quite a contrast. What was that first job, Martin? I worked in an off-licence. Um, mm. Yeah, I was only 13 at the time. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a job over the Christmas period. I had to, it, was, it was stocking the shelves. Right. <laughs> I mean, nowadays... You couldn't do it, you know, as no. a 13, 14 year old, yeah. they wouldn't let you, but uh, it was fantastic. And I do remember, uh, you know, occasionally being given a, a little bottle of baby sham every <laughs> <now> and again. <laughs> that is aging you. Oh, uh, yeah. And you, you, you said you worked because you got no pocket money. You presumably got some earnings from being in the, in the office. What, yep. what did you do with that money? What was your instinct? Oh, my goodness. So, uh, uh, Oh, I mean, not. I mean, we're not talking big bucks here. No, Ruth. no, no. Um, so it was just to cover, you know, sweets. Uh, I remember. I remember treating myself occasionally down the chippy. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't enough, you know, to save up for a, you know, a bike or a skateboard no. or anything like that. that yeah. you know, anything like that. So it was kind of bare essentials. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For a growing teenage lad. Quite rightly so. Quite rightly so. Yeah. 
And then um, you mentioned you went to work for the church at 18. What, what, in what capacity was that? Um, so it was actually a, uh, what they called a uh, core, uh, a year of evangelism. So it was actually a voluntary year. Um, and I was living in Crawley, uh, moved to Brighton, um, lived with, um, I, it, was a, it was a big house with 10 or 11 other guys that were all doing this same course. Most of them were in their mid-20s. I was 18, mm -hmm. uh, so I had to grow up pretty rapido. Yeah, um, Yeah. so it was, it was a voluntary year. So it was doing lots of different things, you know, in terms of help. It was a large church in Brighton. Um, so they had lots of, uh, you know, whether it was youth activities, children's activities, um, doing things in the community, uh, working up at the university. Yeah, so it was it was varied mm. and I loved it, actually. I had a, you know, had a, had a great time. Yeah. Um, yeah, had a really good year. Very fond memories of that year. I bet. Yeah, gosh, that's a, an interesting kind of way for an 18 year old to spend time. But lovely that you were doing public service, really, at, at uh, also, you know, community service at such a such a young age, really. Yeah. Do, do, yeah. You remain, yeah good, yeah. do you remain involved with the church today? Not really, no. Yeah. Um, no. So my kind of active life with the church. Probably kind of. Yeah. Well, as you know, and perhaps, you know, one of the things we'll come on to is that, you know, for a certain period, I was actually a pastor of a church. Um, so I have I have very close affinity, but in terms of active involvement, mm. you know, mm. active daily involvement, mm. uh, no, no okay. not really. So at um, 24 or so, you thought, I've had enough of this technical stuff. I can see what the uh financial planning managers are doing and you set off on um um in, in move to the advice side of of uh, of money yeah so i assume your income started to increase at that point how how, how was that how was that were you were you still uh, single at that stage or had you got a no family so i was uh, by by the time i was 24 25 i was married um had uh had a daughter um and uh, it, it would only have been another year or two before a second daughter yeah. arrived um and i do remember my boss at the time congratulating me on becoming a higher rate taxpayer um so so the earnings yes. you know that i kind of generated which actually interestingly so i had forgotten this so the sales support role that i was doing was kind of my nine to five mm. the bit where they kind of let me loose on some clients was actually in my own time. So I remember, you know, getting on a bus, for example, in Brighton to go across, you know, five miles or so to go and visit somebody in the evening to talk about um, a, essentially a financial product. Yeah. Um, but in doing that, um, yeah, it was, it was just a brilliant way, brilliant way to, to kind of get to know, um, the very, very important part of the role, which I see very clearly now, which is just being able to engage with people mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that they can begin this journey of trust in you and what you do and, you know, what you're aiming to provide yeah. for them. Um, yeah, so that was a great experience. And very different to um, the early experiences that 
younger people working in money today tend to have, isn't it? I think, you know, compared to um, some of our, our colleagues that we we see at Paradigm at Paradigm Norton. But it, it it's it's great experience. I remember doing a, a similar thing in Newcastle and uh, going to visit people in their homes and uh, having conversations um, over a cup of tea and watching Coronation Street kind of thing. And you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. very very yeah. different. But um, yeah. yeah, well, you're talking about life, and yeah. and that's that's been the bit that I've always been really really fascinated by. Yeah, you know, people's life stories, mm. um, and you know, sat down with a cup of tea and a. And uh, hopefully a couple of chocolate biscuits. Absolutely, you know. you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. you talk about family, and you talk yeah. about you know things that they may be concerned about and yeah. fearful yeah. of, etc., etc., etc. So for me, that kind of, I mean, I wouldn't call it training. It wasn't training. Uh, no. It was just, you know, this is this is what you do. Getting um, out there and talking to people and, yeah. and, and building relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you were a pastor. Um, mm. Is is that a a job that you did at the same time as you were working in money? Yeah. So I mentioned that I um, I worked in Exeter and I became a partner of uh, of what was a a national um, independent financial advisory firm. And that was, um, you know, a a really good position, a great firm. And as I was doing that, I moved to Torquay. And as I say, the part of the reason or the main reason for moving to Torquay was to Uh, with a small team start a new church and and so and I was leading that and over the course of about a year or two what was just a handful of people grew you know we were gathering maybe about I don't know 60 70 people something like that and and I just found that being a partner of a firm and running a church and building a leadership team we were doing quite a lot of um social projects we set up a house to enable people that were coming out of prison to just have some stability to then go on to hopefully you know gain a job and get their own you know get their own house and all that kind of thing so I was involved in a lot and and something something had to give and um and it was absolutely a decision of the heart you know rather than the head I actually resigned in the end the partnership that I had um which, 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 you know, that was a significant, significant mm. decision. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just felt very led to be more involved in the church and be able to give more of my time to that. But alongside that, I got to know, uh, you know, some other planners in the area. And one of those ran a financial planning firm in Torquay. Uh-huh. And he, he just offered essentially a regulatory environment um, within which I could continue to look after a small number of clients that I had been dealing with for four or five years. So actually, when I when I so this was two years after I originally moved to Torquay, I was working essentially full, pretty much full time for the church, and then one day a week—that's really all it was. I yeah. was, you know, beginning to look after or started to look after, you know, about 25, 30 clients that, as I say, I'd been dealing with for you know, for, for a little while. And I ran those, I, you know, I ran, as it were, th- those two things side by side for about four or five years. Um, the, the church continued to grow, yeah. um, build a leadership team. And in essence, it got to the stage of where I was able to transfer, if you like, the leadership that I kind of took sole responsibility for to the team 
Mm -hmm. um, and then I had uh, more time to develop the client side that I was doing alongside uh, my colleague at the time, David. Yeah. Um, and then we developed that financial planning firm. So, um, and it then became what was called back then a new model firm. In other yeah. words, we, you know, we ditched commissions before you had to ditch commissions. Yeah. Uh, you know, we became fee-based. We, we wanted to make sure that we had the highest level of qualifications that were available for financial planning. So both of us became, uh, as you became, uh, a certified financial planner. So yeah. for me, that was back in 2007. And then we, as I say, we began to build uh, a very client-centric um, financial planning business. We only took on certain clients that we felt that we could add most value to. And, um, and that also was a great, mm. great time. So a question that's always really interested me, and forgive my ignorance on this, if it, if it sounds to be, I don't mean it, and I don't mean it rudely in any way. How do you see the, um, how do you see religion and money sitting together? I mean that's a big one. <laughs> is it? Is it a bit too is, big? To uh, is a real no, no, no. I mean, um, so, so, um, so for me, uh, I think one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible is, uh, and this is the misquote. The misquote is that money is the root of all evil. Right. So, in other words, you can look at that and think you know money is uh is, is a subject that you don't want to go anywhere near yeah actually what the verse says it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil yeah, okay so there is something inherent within money yeah. which if used incorrectly could be a force of great evil mm. but of course the reverse is true the proper use of money could change the world yeah um and uh, i've not done my own kind of in-depth study about this it's just stuff i've read that mm. jesus spoke more about money in the gospels than virtually any other subject so it's it's your relationship with money mm. is a key relationship for good or ill you know i don't believe in any way shape or form that money is a neutral issue. Mm. It can either be a force for real good or it could be a force for, you know, really horrid stuff. Yeah. Um, so people's relationship with money, which I guess is, you know, part of the whole reason why you're wanting to do this podcast, yeah. I think is, is a fascinating one. It really is, actually. And um, I, I, I think what you have just corrected us around as you say that um money is the root of all evils um misquote uh is 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 absolutely fascinating isn't it and, and we see it all around us don't we with the way that people are around money and the behaviors yeah. that it that it leads to yeah um and it kind of goes back to one of the points that i've observed as well that you know also people don't really talk about money and that's really interesting isn't it how money has became become um yeah, a dirty word for, for, for many people. Um, in, in terms of your um, pastoral duties and, and growing and building a church, again, that's a really interesting concept to me because 
you know, again, my ignorance, you tend to just assume a church is there. And um, of course, I don't even stop to think about the team that sits behind it and, and the person yeah. that you see on a Sunday giving the sermon. Um, was that a paid position, Martin? Uh, to begin with, no. Okay. Um, but then as the church grew numerically, mm. um, you, effectively the church should become um, essentially self-financing. So, uh, yeah, so, so, so in, in the latter years, I, you know, I was, I was paid. Yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would say, though, that the, the pay structure of the church was somewhat different to <laughs> what I had been used to and certainly yeah. what I could have expected um, yeah. as an equity partner in this firm that, as I say, I actually resigned from. Um, so when you, when you do something like that, uh, unless you're, uh, you know, some US tele-evangelist, mm. uh, which, you know, I find, you know, really extremely distasteful, um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't do it. You don't do it for the money. You don't do it for the money, no. So you, you um, moved increasingly into um, your partnership uh, with, yep. with David and mm -hmm. uh, built, built a great business. What was kind of going on with you? You've got a young family, obviously, at that, at that time. You've got two daughters that you were, you were bringing up. Um, how did you, um, when you started to earn probably in a, in a more fuller capacity, how did you organize your money? You know, kind of what habits or systems did you personally develop to enable you to kind of reach financial freedom over time? I mean, that's such a such a great question. And I think I'm probably a little bit embarrassed by how I would answer that. Um, so the the girls went to 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 both went to private school um, for their senior years. So from age 11, 12 through to when they finished A-levels, actually. Um, I mentioned that we had moved from Brighton to the southwest and actually kept kept the flat on, had that rented out, then sold that. So, you know, we did pretty well mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how much money that had made. So that, in effect, became the private education fund. Yeah. That was the fuel for us yeah. to think that we could, you know, get the girls through through private education. But for any for anyone that has taken their children through private education, you need a lot of money. Mm. You know, it isn't just the fees. Mm. It's all the school trips to, you know, crazy places Absolutely, around the world. Yeah. Um, so it did get to it did get to the stage where actually it became very difficult kind of juggling everything. Um, and so I would have loved to have said to you, Ruth, yeah, I had a very systematic way of dealing with the income. You know, this percentage dealt with yeah. our kind of necessary costs and this yeah. went to our discretionary spend yes. and then blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like that at all. It just went a bit crazy. Yeah. So much so that, um, you know, I, I had to start borrowing um, and that coincided with um buying in of the business so so the income was good mm. but the outcome the outgoings were worse right. um 
so yeah so it, it it was yeah it it was it was pretty you know it was pretty difficult yeah um, yeah that must have been quite um was that did that feel stressful it's terrible yeah yeah, yeah it's terrible it's terrible and um it did get worse um <laughs> Oh, it did get worse so um you know unfortunately you know I went through a, a separation and a divorce and you know the financial settlement and you know uh, yeah, yeah it was it was you know it, it was it was a tough it was mm. a tough time mm. so um you, you know so you can have all of these goals and objectives about where you want to be from a financial mm. perspective mm. and then life just mm. throws in the curveballs and so what you thought was a was a great plan and a great structure and a, and a you know a great setup and you could see financial freedom or financial independence yeah something comes along the way which you weren't expecting you weren't planning for and it just it's, it's like a you know a grenade going off and just making a whole mess of the thing so so i would say i got to a position of where i could see myself through um, but then, unfortunately, you know, the divorce came yeah. along, yeah. Um, and yeah, put a put a kibosh on everything. And it does, doesn't it? I mean, I know from talking with with clients over the years, as you say, you're kind of going along in a direction which seems really reasonably controllable, and you're going to get the outcome you expect, and then you end up losing fifty percent of your assets or whatever, whatever yeah. it ends up, and it's it's yeah. a rebuilding. So yes. you, you've kind of really walked uh, the talk of um, many of the things that you'll be advising your clients on by the by the side. How do you how have your personal experiences influenced how you go about your job? Oh, I think I think I think hugely. And, and again, but it's but it's changed. Um, yeah. It's definitely adapted through the years. I think now looking back, um, you know, if, if I was able to say anything to my younger self, if I if my younger self listened, um, it, it would be be so careful about debt, you know. So when you're making plans, so going back to private education for the children, mm. so you know we had a good starter lump sum, mm. but but the but the cost just escalated, and you know if you've got no safety net, yeah, you, you know you you're, you're going to end up, you know it could get a bit sticky. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you could you could find it really, really difficult. So so plan well. Don't take on unnecessary debt. I mean, that was the other thing, uh, you know, I alluded to that, you know, I, I took on debt to, to continue to finance the girls through private education. Yeah. And initially that was kind of OK and it was manageable. And, um, and I would bounce one zero percent offer on a credit card to another. That then all stopped. You know, 2007, 2008, credit dried up, credit became very expensive. And, you know, sharp intake of breath, Ooh. even as I think about it, Ooh. it was like I've got myself into a position where I, you know, I, I, I just, I can't see light at the end of the debt tunnel. Yeah. So... I, you know, I would never, ever, ever want to put myself in that position again. So in, interestingly, when I, you know, talk to clients, I mean, we're very fortunate at PN in that we don't have, I don't have very many clients where debt is an issue. Yeah. But actually, when we're talking about 
uh, the transfer of wealth. So from you know, the client that I might be looking after and they're thinking of doing something for their child or grandchild that could enable them to, for example, buy their first property or go to university without accruing student debt or, or whatever it might be. I just think that is a brilliant way of using the family wealth to make sure that their children and their grandchildren and or grandchildren do not become, you know, encumbered by, by debt. So, yeah. so bad debt, I, I so hate because, um, you know, I mean, it, you know, it didn't get to the stage, fortunately, it didn't get to the stage of where I, you know, I was thinking the only way I can deal with this for myself and perhaps as a family is to do something really dramatic. Um, never got to that stage, but I can, I can totally understand mm -hmm. why it could cause people to think that that is the only way out. That is just, you know, it's just, it's just, insidious, just awful. isn't it? It, 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 it just, it, I think you're right. I think it begins to feel like a tunnel from which um, oh. it's difficult to see a way out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did you get yourself out of that, Martin? Because that does sound like a challenging time, sounds like an understatement. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, with, with some help. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, so I think part of, part of the problem for me was I just didn't share it because I felt, you know, really quite ashamed to yeah. be honest yeah so um so to begin to be accountable really really helped mm. and then to get someone to say this is what you need to do yeah because I think for a time I I just couldn't see my way mm. through it um now for some people that would be their financial advisor Mm. Because actually, um, you know, as you know, we, you know, we get to know our clients really, really well. And they'll mm. talk mm. to us about some matters which they may not even talk to their very, very closest Absolutely. family members. Um, so I think to make myself accountable, I, I would say, brought a lot of release. And then it brought a, a plan. Yeah. And the plan has been fantastic. So I now have clear visibility on the future i also know i will never ever go back to mm. where i was and in terms of how it might influence what i say to the kids so with both both i mean george is 29 and imogen is 26 so you know yeah. they're adults yes but you know i've had long conversations with both of them about mm. the danger of debt so mm -hmm. neither of them have credit cards yeah. you know neither of them have as far as I'm aware of have gone into overdraft they seem to be managing their finances really really well yeah um, and part of the reason for that I think is because dad didn't do so well mm. Mm. and actually when the curveballs came um yeah it, as I say it, you know it, it, it got difficult and I would just not want that for yeah, you know, not for anyone. And if you don't mind me asking, was was that because of kind of lifestyle creep, as we call it? So, you know, we I'm, I'm always of the view 
ever since I was a student nurse to where I am today, I don't do very much differently. It just costs more to do the same things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and was that kind of your experience that it was that you spent more money on holidays, maybe or clothes or cars or houses or mm. dinner? Is that how that or was it the school fees and that just being a much bigger burden than you'd anticipated? Yeah. So I think. Um, cool. So the, the school fees were definitely became a, a big big issue and then of course the divorce became a big big yeah. issue you know from a from a financial perspective um the creep i think there there probably was an element of that mm. um and as we as we know often often what happens is you know as your earnings increase your expend expenditure increases yeah. either at the same rate or even yeah you know an accelerated rate to that and bizarrely, um, you know, there was a guy that uh, I studied kind of to do with church history, a chap called John Wesley, and mm. and he would, uh, and it, part of his counsel, if you like, and I think this was rooted in, in Methodism, was that, you know, you, you get comfortable with a certain level of income, and if your income increases, well, don't let your yeah. expenditure increase also. In other yeah. words... The creep that we talk about is is kind of a non-issue, and and actually you would have an attitude of giving away. So if you if you earn in excess, mm. you gave away. Mm. You didn't hold it to yourself. Yeah. In fact, none of it really belonged to you. It all belonged to God ultimately. Yeah. Um. You know, you're just a steward for a time of money and wealth and all the rest of it. Mm. Um. But, but. In our Western culture, uh, it's it's very very difficult. It tends not to happen, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. To 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 achieve that, um, so I definitely definitely always wanted a nice car. That was yeah. yeah. Ever since I was a, you know, my dad always had nice cars, and so ever since I, you know, from the day I can remember, it was like I always want to be able to have a nice car. Um. And of course, that's one surefire way to lose money. Um, <laughs> what, what was your uh, guilty car pleasure? I've had many. Uh, but ah. My main, my main one actually is I, um, I got a. It was a, a Porsche Cayenne. Right. Is that and, like the four wheel drive ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. Within literally six months, I got rid of it. Um, and even when I got rid of it, I think the value had dropped. Some, I mean, it was horrendous. I think it was like 18 grand. Um, and I got rid of it because um, you, what I wasn't told by the dealership is that you had to change the tyres. It's a big, heavy car. You had to change the tyres, all four tyres at the same time. Oh. It did about 18 to the gallon. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was hopelessly expensive. Um so that by far and away is 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 the car that I would have lost the yeah. most amount of money on. Yeah. But as I say, you're never going to make money on a on a on a, no. on a you know on a vehicle unless you get a classic. So maybe that's what I should do. Yeah, yeah. Buy a classic I'd... Aston Martin. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I I love that idea of the, of the spending choices. That kind of thing. One of the things that I've always observed with uh, with clients talking to clients over the years and and you know with family and friends is the decisions we make around the things that we feel happy to spend extravagantly on 
and those where we do the exact opposite, where we just don't see the value. And I always think that that's, that always, to my mind, can explain a lot. I mean, you know, a silly example is some people choose not to have a cleaner because that just feels like a waste of money because they can clean themselves. Whereas I would look at it as, well, if you pay a cleaner to help you, it frees you up to do something else. And it's yeah. it's all of those values, isn't it, that we yeah. ascribe to our purchases, yeah. whether that's goods or services, that I think is is really interesting. Is, yeah. is, it, is there any, um, obviously cars is a, is a bit of a go-to for you. Do you have anything where you begrudge paying money for? Um, clothes, probably. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, I just don't get many. I mean, if I do get something, I, you know, want to make sure that it's pretty good and it's it's going to last. Quality. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have no desire whatsoever to go into a clothes shop ever. Um <laughs> So, so yeah. Bridget, bless her. I mean, most of the clothes I own are because you know she's she's bought them for you know, Christmas you. and birthday presents. So, <laughs> yeah. she's yeah, I'm fed up of seeing you in that same shirt, Martin. Yeah, well, well exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the t-shirt that I'd be wearing for about fifteen years just doesn't cut it anymore. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. So, a, a question kind of unconscious of 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 your time i've just got one or two final things to ask i'm intrigued what why do you think people don't talk about money cool i mean if they've had bad experience so there could be the shame element mm. um and of course for all the success stories that we read about or that are promoted and it's only ever the success you know, success stories that are promoted, you know, what we don't see and what we don't hear about is perhaps the year after year after year of financial pain yeah. uh, or financial desperation or where they've just bodged it, you know, they've taken a risk and the risk has come and burnt them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be the, you know, there could be the, the, the shame element. Um, and also it isn't something that is, you know, is widely discussed. So even within the education system, mm-hmm you know even the real basics of you know how to budget or you know what to do around debt um you know there just isn't a lot there just isn't a lot out there yeah um you know there's way more that can be done and i know for us at you know paradigm norton you know that you know we get involved in something called financial planning week every every year and you know, that's just kind of one one way that we can talk about money mm. and talk about some of the basics of money, um, which is, as it were, free to to anyone that mm. you know is able to engage with us. So I would say that definitely, definitely shame, and you know, even within families, it just isn't. You know, it's it's difficult to get the conversation going. Mm. Um, I do think we as financial planners have a have a very very privileged position, um, whereby you know we can raise the issue of money. And as I say, you know, it tends to be around you know how those that have accumulated quite a lot can mm. distribute that mm. amongst other members, other family members. Yeah. Um, so that kind of gets the conversation going. Yeah. And I love having those those kind of discussions between, you know, the as it were, the 
you know the grandparents and yes. you know, the, the, their children and, and their the money in motion kind of stories isn't it it's uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, two final things if i may so a, a, a bit of a silly one martin but it's it's a question i love to ask so we we're, we're we've spoken about money we've spoken about big money issues we've spoken about um the the differences in money during your upbringing from being relatively comfortable for money being really quite difficult we've spoken about um spending money on cars we've spoken about difficulties with with debt and and thank you for sharing all that but what's been your best buy over the last say 12 months that cost you less than 30 pound um so in fact, Bridget and I were just talking about this a couple of days ago. She mentioned it. Yeah. And um, so about a year ago, so pre-lockdown one, yeah. uh, we bought a flask, uh, which keeps cold stuff really cold and hot stuff really <laughs> hot. And we do a lot of, we do a lot of walking. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, that's all most of us have been able to do for the last 12 months. <laughs> um, so when it's warm, uh, the flask is filled with Prosecco. And that stays <laughs> chilled. And then, of course, more recently, it's been filled with coffee. And, um, you know, so whatever is the halfway point of our walk. Yeah, so I think it costs about 15 quid. But, you know, we have used it. Love it. Cool, multiple times, you know, Fantastic. every single week. I love those. And I, I, I'm kicking myself for thinking you were going to say in uh, hot weather it was going to be filled with a cold isotonic drink. And it's Prosecco. Of course it's Prosecco. <laughs> it could be nothing but. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's mainly for Bridget, of course. It's a selfless act on my part. Yeah. Um, it would not obviously be Ribena or something for me. <laughs> yeah oh well look martin you've been a fantastic guest thank you so much you've been you've really opened up and and shared things that i'm i'm very grateful for you to share and and i think it's that hu humility uh that you'll bring to your role of helping other people um you know from your own personal experiences that i'm sure makes you such a great fantastic financial planner that you that you are if if you had to leave our listeners with one tip one money tip whether that's something to be aware of or something to absolutely do what would that be um well keep keep away from unnecessary debt yeah yeah and don't don't let your kids grandkids get tangled up in that mess yeah um and I, it's, it's such a relevant point i think at the moment with interest rates being so low people having short memories I think that's a that's that's a great final thing to leave yeah. us with. So Martin. live within your means. So it's fairly yeah yeah brilliant. Fairly basic. Martin, thank you ever so much. It's been lovely chatting with you today. Yeah, and you, Ruth. Thanks, yeah, Martin. All right, pleasure. See you. Bye bye. What a wonderful conversation with Martin. I hope you learned as much as I did. And again, um, uh, great recognition to Martin for being so open and honest in sharing his story with us today. Um, just before you go, I'd like to. Uh, tell you about our next guest on Money Expresso. That's a wonderful woman called Genevieve Shaw. That podcast will be available from the 9th of August. Genevieve is quite an incredible woman. Not only did she win the Rugby World Cup uh, with the women's team in 1994, but she also rose to the top uh, and became a board director of a FTSE 100 company before leaving the rat race to set up 
some new businesses with her husband in the Highlands. You're in for a real treat, so remember to check back. In the meantime, have a good week. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or questions on any of the matters discussed, or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you. Thank you.